Thank you for listening, but please keep in mind that I am not a degree holder on any of the topics I talk about on the show. Please also keep in mind that I do swear, so listener discretion is advised. Hello, I'm Ruby, and this is episode 40 of Living Through Extinction, a short-to-the-point podcast with science, skepticism, nature, and more. At the end of this episode, I will be sharing about the time I got myself stupidly lost in the Appalachian Mountains in Quebec. If you've joined me on this journey before, thank you so much for coming back. If this is your first time listening to Living Through Extinction, I hope you will find it both fun and informative. Many, many years ago, an atheist skeptic show I listened to had a segment on it called Republicans Say the Darndest Things. Dogma debate is still on today, though like many shows has evolved over the years, and this segment went away at some point. I've noticed, as I read more and more statements from more and more politicians these days, that the sources are probably out there to have a full-time show on this topic. It's frightening how many of them are so completely detached from reality. In most other free nations, they would be laughed out of town for saying these things. But in America, they give them governmental power. So this segment is inspired by David Smalley's Republicans Say the Darndest Things, revealing these idiots for the ignorant people they are on some of my political skeptic segments. Today I have three to share. I could have easily done a dozen, and that's just with stuff from the last couple months. There is so much bullshit out there that I could probably start a strictly skeptical political podcast, and 98% of all the bullshit I could find would inevitably end up being from U.S. Republicans and U.S. Republican preachers, pastors, etc. That's how bad it's gotten. There is no denying that Pastor Rick Wiles is racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, and Islamophobic. He's also either living in a fucking fantasy world of his own creation or a very convincing, to dumbasses, liar. He caught COVID, obviously, as he was anti any and all health measures. So this guy is telling his audience that he was deliberately infected by the medical mafia and that the Chinese Communist Party did this to him. Inflated ego much? Hey, Wiles, how much do you want to bet that nobody in any communist party in the world even has you on their radar? You are not that important, man. I know all the idiots who follow you and believe you have convinced you otherwise, but the truth is, nobody in any government gives a shit about you. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a monster of a person who makes shit up and spreads it rampantly. She is so hateful towards so many different people who are different from her. This is the woman who purposely put up an anti-transgender sign across from a lawmaker's office when she learned that the lawmaker had a transgender child. That's just bullying, and I am appalled that this type of behavior isn't enough to get someone out of office in North America. So this woman publicly blamed wildfires on Jewish space lasers. What the fuck? What kind of ignorant people do you have to have voting to get this level of stu- 
stupidity and anti-Semitism voted into office. Yeah, just blame natural disasters on whatever group of people you are against to get the anger and hate going and growing in all the dumbasses who are out there and believe you. And sadly, it works. Of course, she tried to back out of it later by saying, quote, I didn't mean to blame the Jews for the space lasers. This same woman compared mask mandates in the U.S. to Jewish people in the Holocaust. She tried to back out of this one too, saying she didn't mean it like that. Maybe she needs some lessons in communicating. She never actually seems to mean what people hear her say. I was listening to Cognitive Dissonance a few weeks back, and they made a great point that I would like to share here. You know what can be compared to Jewish people in the Holocaust? Jewish people in the Holocaust. If you vote for this monstrosity of a human being and confirmed bully, then you are a monster and a bully yourself. And everyone knows that bullies are the scum of all societies. Finally, I'm going to share some bullshit being spread by Shane Vaughn, another Trump-worshipping pastor. This one likes to scream. Maybe he believes if he says shit loud enough, it'll magically be true? His claims are that conservatives being blocked from social media sites in the U.S. is equal to dissidents being executed by the North Korean government. He goes on to say that Biden is making any speech that opposes the government illegal. Fuck those of you who hear this and go, yeah, think about it. You are fucking idiots who have either not actually taken the time to bother and think about it yourselves or who are actually incapable of understanding what's wrong with his comparisons. I'm not sure which is worse. At this point, your government has nothing to do with who gets kicked off of social media. Hell, they use the social medias of people they're looking into to acquire information. Why would they want to limit their own access to you in that way? Oh, and Biden has not made any kind of speech illegal. Lies, lies, lies. If he had, I would be all over that shit. No, the U.S. is not going to see actual speech laws until the Christian extremists gain control. Then you will all see what it's like when freedoms are really taken away. Social media companies are just that. Companies. We all agree to their terms of service when we sign up. If we don't like the terms, we don't have to sign up. If we agree to the rules, then sign up then break those rules, we get removed. The choices are all ours in the end. Do I want to follow these rules or not? You make the choice and you live with the consequences. If you are so butthurt that private companies are no longer putting up with your bullshit, stop being a whiny little baby and go to parlor where you will be welcomed and your bullshit will be believed and shut the fuck up already. Also, being removed from social media doesn't cancel anyone. The plain fact that people can still see and hear you complaining about it is proof that you are still going and proof that your freedom of speech rights have not been infringed upon. You have not been silenced if we can still fucking hear you. I'm going to end this segment with a direct quote from this dumbass. This is exactly what he said in relation to the government of North Korea executing a man for selling bootleg copies of movies and music. Quote, they brought fear to those citizens that watched that man get shot and killed, and yet every day in America, YouTube, Facebook, and all of the others, which are agents of the state, do the same thing. Unquote. Holy fuck, this is so dumb on so many levels. 
Private companies are not owned and run by government entities. Stop making shit up. And to those of you who ever watch or listen to any of the people I included in today's segment, please be skeptical, damn it. Not all that long ago, I did a segment on a subject that was new to me. Seagrass Meadows. That was episode 33. We have an update and it's from a very long-running study. The longer-run studies often offer the best information. They are most revealing of variances, wanes, ebbs, fluctuations. Seagrass, as I explained in episode 33, is one of the most productive ecosystems in the world, feeding and sheltering an enormous amount of life. This includes fish species important to our fishing industries. There is a massive die-off of around 10,000 acres of seagrass meadows in the Florida area. After this, an area was sequestered and studied over many years. Over a 10-year period, there was no visible change or growth, and it led to massive ecological changes in the area. But after another 10 years, pre-die-off levels actually began to return. So that's good news. Usually studies like this include some type of human intervention, but they just left it alone and observed. And eventually it was able to come back on its own. They noted that there were a few things that worked in their favor. The remnants left over after the die-off, the fact that there had been multiple species of seagrass in the area, and the fact that the area was remote and easily left alone. In this case, the sequence of dying off, algal blooms forming, and recovery took about 17 to 23 years. So the good news is that we now know for sure that recovery is sometimes possible if remnants remain in the area somewhat protected for a long enough time. It's important to obtain information about how long and what it will take for this kind of recovery in all sorts of areas. Uh, this study, I should mention, was published in Scientific Reports. Bats are kind of awesome. There are cute, adorable little bats, and there are giant, monster, scary bats. The bats I've seen my whole life in person are pretty small. When I was growing up, we'd see them in the village green when we'd sneak out at night. As an adult, when camping with my family at the old farmland in Seven Sisters, we'd see them darting behind each other as soon as the sun would go down. You would never notice them go by you, but you could always see them darting behind the head of the person across the fire from you, and that person would see the ones darting behind you. This is a good thing, because what they're doing is they dart back and forth is eating those nasty mosquitoes. The more buggy it is, the more bats will be seen. Bats help out all over the world by eating insects that damage crops and carry diseases, and many even pollinate plants and disperse seeds. They are very important factors in keeping many nuisance insects under control. We have an emergent disease attacking bats as they hibernate in the United States and now several provinces here in Canada. It's called white noise syndrome. It appears to have begun in the northwest U.S. and spread very quickly from there. Since the winter of 0708, white noise syndrome has killed millions of bats in at least 35 states, as well as at least seven provinces in Canada. The disease is devastating them to the point where we may lose some species to extinction. White noise syndrome is actually considered one of the most critical threats to our wildlife today. It's a fungal disease which infects the skin of their muzzles, ears, and wings as they are in hibernation. The fungus thrives in cold and humid environments, so they love the caves where the bats sleep. It disturbs their hibernation and results in dehydration, starvation, and death. Sounds fucking awful. We may have a part in this. While it is primarily spread from bat to bat, it's thought that it's getting from one cave system to another 
through human explorers and cavers who carry spores on their clothing, backpacks, and other gear. So if you are a caver or explorer, maybe consider washing off your equipment after returning from one system and before going into another. It's a way to reduce the risk of transporting the spores, and it's a really small thing you can do to help save our bat population. This episode I would like to talk about cricket flower. Entomophagy, or the eating of insects, is a pretty large topic that I need to dive into more someday. But cricket flower specifically fascinates me, and it's becoming more readily available. Well, for those who aren't on strict food budgets, anyway. When comparing wheat flour to cricket flour, cricket flour wins out when it comes to production, nutrition, and environmental benefits. We just need to overcome the yuck factor we have in the West and increase production to achieve great gains. Beginning with production, crickets can eat just two kilograms of food to increase one kilogram in weight. That's pretty incredible on its own. No livestock could ever compare. As a flower, the land and water usage is much less than wheat. But cricket flour is also a complete source of protein. As a protein, the land and water required is significantly less than with livestock. And crickets do not put out the greenhouse gases such as ammonia and methane that livestock does. On episode 22, I covered commercial meats and the water usage was huge. Not just for the livestock, but for the food being grown to feed the livestock. One pound of dry protein from cows is acquired with the use of between 1,700 and 2,500 gallons of water, depending on farming practices. One pound of dry protein from crickets is acquired with the use of one gallon of water. Hashtag no-brainer? How is it we aren't working harder towards a switch like that? Well, for most of the West, it's our version of bugs. Insects are considered great protein all over the world, but we have developed a feeling of yuckiness here in North America and many European nations. I think that when it comes to food, we just need to get over it. I still don't want them to be on me or in my house, but if there are proper food standards and regulations put on it and I find myself able to afford it, I'll switch to bug versions of whatever I can. The nutritional value I could have added to cookies and bars as my kids were growing up would have been awesome. But if it was even an option back then, it would have been online only, and I'm sure it would have been very, very expensive. I mentioned the protein. The reason they are so high in protein is that they are mostly made up of it. Each bug is 58 to 65% protein. Gram for gram, crickets are the most efficient protein creator we know of. And they are what's called a complete source of protein because they contain all the BCAAs required by the human body to develop muscles. BCAAs stands for branched chain amino acids. And then on top of being pretty much the best protein, they are also full of vitamins and minerals. Salmon is the common go-to for vitamin B12, yet crickets contain 10 times more vitamin B12 per 100 grams than salmon does. Spinach is a go-to for iron, yet crickets contain more than twice the iron per 100 grams than spinach does. They also contain potassium, calcium, magnesium, fatty acids, and more. Oh, and if you have celiac disease, they contain zero wheat proteins, making them safe for you. And as to protein, if that's what you're in it for, Crickets are a type of animal protein, which we humans actually absorb more easily than we do plant protein. I can't say why that is, because I have not at this point dived into the science of digestion and absorption. Though I have read Gulp by Mary Roach. I don't recall the nutrition absorption being in there. Maybe I just need to read it again. 
I adore Mary Roach, and she has the best titles. Gulp, Grunt, Spook, Stiff, Bonk. <laughs> I love her. Moving on. If we could all get over our issues with eating insects, there are many positive results that could come of it. If this could be scaled up and livestock scaled down, we could put a stop to the rising costs of protein. It could reduce food shortage issues in many places, helping to feed our growing populations. In fact, the Food and Agriculture Organizations of the United Nations says there is huge potential for insects to positively impact what they refer to as food security issues. Now, if you plan to give it a try, please do some research for each recipe. Cricket flour is not always a direct one-for-one -one substitute for all purpose. Because of its gluten-free quality, it can result in a more dense and crumbly dough. Make use of Google. Many people have already experimented and whatever you're thinking about, there's someone out there who can tell you how it worked for them and what issues they may have run into. You may notice a different taste and or texture for some things. Some claim that it has a slight nutty flavor. The texture result is more akin to that of what we get from whole wheat flour. I did see the suggestion of partial replacement though. That would definitely be more affordable to start with. And you'd still be adding a lot of good vitamins and minerals to whatever recipe you're using. The recommendation they say to keep flavor and texture the same is to replace 25% of the flour called for by the recipe with the cricket flour. I did come across a site about making your own. They start with live crickets, then there's freezing, blanching, dry roasting, grinding to a dark powdery substance, and combining. This is with bought crickets, by the way, not crickets caught in your backyard. Please go online or to a pet store to get your live crickets. We need to figure out how to scale this shit up to the point of meeting global requirements. For now, if you're looking for it in Canada, I know Superstore definitely carries it. I'm sure there are many more if one takes the time to look. Otherwise, online is always an option, but local is always best. For me, and millions of others right now, the cost is what's stopping us from even making a partial switch. Supply is rather limited at the moment, yet demand is increasing. That's a recipe for price jumps. This won't change until there are more companies joining in on the mass production. Maybe someday. Okay, I guess I'm really doing this. I was on the fence about the story because I really don't look very bright in this one. But I was only 12. I swear to you, I was somewhat smart and definitely more reasonable and rational than the adults in my life at a way earlier age than this occurrence. I don't know where those traits disappeared to on that day. What I did was very, very dumb. It's really sad that I have to make this clarification, but this is the first and more severe time that I was lost in Quebec. Some people from my past may recall a shirt I had with a kitten on it yelling, I'm lost. I told that story every time I wore the shirt. The second time I was lost was when my class was in Quebec, and while I was lost in Quebec, I came across a shirt that said, I'm lost in big letters and in Quebec in small letters. How could I not spend the day's food money on it, right? So yeah, this is not that story. No, this was at least a couple years before that. I was 12 and we had only been in La Carre for a day or so. The translation is Square Lake, by the way, La Carre. None of the kid cousins were there yet. The youngest other than myself was my older cousin in his 20s. So when I headed out for a walk early one morning, I was on my own. I live in the prairies and maybe some of you do as well. Going to Mamers was like going to a different world. If someone in my Mamers said they were going upstairs, that meant they were going up the mountain a bit to my uncle's place. His place was upstairs, my Mamers was downstairs. Getting there was like driving up to a mountaintop. Up, up, 
up round, 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 constantly curving to the left with a cliff higher than you could ever imagine directly to your right, on the other side of the guardrails, of course. My dad would occasionally pull into one of the special viewing spots so we could look down, and it was ridiculous. During one of those stops was the one and only time I ever actually saw a train going round a mountainside, way, way below me. So I headed out onto what I knew of as our road. I knew that the road into the woods from my mare's house was a private one that led to properties owned by uncles, aunts, and cousins. I could walk for ages, straying to paths here and there to pick blueberries, and always be on our private land. I don't know what got into me. I started checking out clearings and trees. Left the road, but instead of heading down a path, I headed to a clearing I could see. It felt cool to be standing there with trees all around me, and I started looking around my ring of trees and thought I could see another clearing up ahead. I went to that clearing, and I sat there for a bit. I did this a few more times before I decided to go back to the road. For some reason, I was totally confident which way that was, and it turned out I was wrong. When it didn't seem like I was going to find the road, I turned in what I thought was the general direction of town and just started walking. But now there was no road or path to follow. I was just intent on going straight. This went on for some time. I had no watch, and this was 1986, so obviously no phone. So I'm climbing, ducking, pushing through branches for however long, when all of a sudden I think I can hear water running. Okay, so I was a reader of all sorts of comics growing up, but one thing my dad usually had around was Archie. So as a little kid, not buying my own yet, I read a lot of Archie comics. This running water sound brought back a long-ago memory from an Archie comic where two characters were lost and found a stream or river. One of them said that they should follow it because running water leads to civilization. Who knows if this has any merit, but my 12-year-old brain thought it was perfectly acceptable to take advice from a comic book I'd read years before, so I started heading to the sound of the water. Again, I have no idea how long this part took either. Eventually, I peeked out through some branches and down about six or seven feet to rapidly running water. Okay, found the water. Next step is to follow the flow. But there's no path alongside it, just trees and a drop to the water below. So I did what my 12-year-old brain thought would work best. I grabbed a strong branch, swung out towards the ledge, and planted my feet against the very top of the ledge. I continued moving along the river in this ridiculous way. Grab out to my left for a good branch, shimmy that way, let go of the branch in the right hand, shimmy some more, repeat. Again, no idea how long this part went on. A nasty branch did snatch my sunglasses off at some point during this part, and they went down, so there was no going back for them. I just had to keep moving to my left. Grab, shimmy, let go, shimmy, repeat. Then I heard a vehicle. I heard it get closer and then fade away. So, new plan. Back with my feet on the ground, I listened. Another vehicle. Thankfully, it was not coming from the other side of the river. I did not want to cross it, though I would have. I was very glad I didn't have to. So, with that second vehicle, I oriented what I thought my direction would be. But I didn't want to risk screwing it up. I'd been out here this long already. I could wait. So I stood as still and quiet as I could until I heard another car. Upon hearing it, I started moving towards it. But I was afraid to be thrown off again, so as soon as I had no more sound to follow, I froze again until I'd hear another one. I didn't count how many vehicles this took, but I eventually came out of the trees and there was the highway! Now, I completely misunderstood which direction I'd gone lost in. Earlier, 
I first started heading for the house and never reached it, so I had it in my head that I must have been deeper in the woods than I thought and overshot the house in town. So that would mean I should start walking left. Except earlier, when I decided to start walking towards the house, I'd been turned around. I did not walk back towards and then past the town. I had turned the complete opposite direction and been walking away from town the entire time. So the town was to my right. So I'm walking the wrong way. When a car slows and stops beside me and the man in the car starts talking to me. I just say, sorry, I don't speak French. And he goes in English because most people in Quebec do speak English. And then he goes on and asks me directions. There's some irony for you. I told the guy I was the worst person to help him because I'd gone lost and was just trying to find my way back to town. He asked what town, I told him La Carre, and that's when I found out I was walking in the wrong direction. He says, isn't it up this way a bit? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so he offered me a ride to town. He had his two sons in the back, I decided he was safe, I let him take me back to town. He dropped me off just at the bottom of the road, just at the bottom of where our little mountain top was, and I walked upstairs to my uncle's place where everyone had been when I'd left early that morning. My mom wanted to know where I'd been the whole day. It was later evening by now, and she'd been worried. I just said, I'd been walking in the woods, and ran to the bathroom. I never told her the story, or my dad, about any of it. I was still kind of absorbing the whole experience myself, and had no desire to try to explain it to anyone. I don't think I ever told this story until my late 30s or early 40s when I was submitting my answers for the most recent set of five questions at Geeks Without God, which is really one of the best comic geek podcasts I've found so far, by the way. Anyway, one of the questions on this round was name a book or movie that changed your life and how or why. <laughs> for this question, I decided that since the water led me to the highway, which probably did save my life, the fact that I had read that Archie comic book years earlier had saved my life. So my answer to this question was an Archie comic, because I believed it actually saved my life. Once I knew it was going to be read on the podcast, I shared the story with some family members. Other than that, I don't think I've ever talked about it with anyone. So that's the story of when I very stupidly got myself lost in the forest in the Appalachian Mountains by La Carre, Quebec. If anybody even made it this far, this was a long one. So that's 40 episodes. That's a bit of a milestone, right? Thank you for listening, and may your health and sanity be replenished daily. I hope you will join me again in two weeks for episode 41 of Living Through Extinction. situation here in Hawaii earlier this evening. The uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami threat. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down from Nebraska to Texas. Apocalyptic scenes as twisters tear.